We know from the Word of God that God is love. Amen? And that's why He rescues. He saves because He is love. And you know, there's probably no greater truth to not only understand in our minds, but in our hearts that God is love. It's probably the most basic truth that we know about God. Um, and we've learned in Romans that we have this ultimate purpose to glorify God, to, to enjoy Him, to find joy in who He is forever. And if God is truly love, then we are invited into a, a life of love. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 12 this morning on this life of love. See, real love is, is evidence of a, a transformed life. We just sang about coming out of darkness into life, into light, and this change, this transformation that's evident being with God, of a, a life with God. Um, maybe like me, do you remember the first time you watched a movie and you realized that what was happening there wasn't real? Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember as a kid watching the movie the Swiss Family Robinsons it's an old Disney movie maybe some of you guys have seen that and just coming to this realization that you know what I want to be part of that family it looks so cool <laughs> to be on an island and fight off pirates and all this cool stuff that and that like real love and genuine relationships but then you realize you know what that wasn't real <laughs> that was all fake they were actors and so we get to a place in life where we realize, you know, all of that is acting and, and we, it resonates with us. We, we go to movies, we watch TV shows, but, but those aren't real bonds. That's not real love. But I think part of the reason we're so drawn to movies and shows is because we ourselves are pretty good at acting. <laughs> I know I can be, where we can stay on surface level relationships and we don't really get into places of love with people. In fact, that's what hypocrisy means. It means acting. It's basically an actor. And, you know, we can all think back to people who we thought maybe were hypocritical, but the reality is all of us <laughs> have this tendency towards acting hypocrisy, um, presenting ourselves differently than we really are. Um, I think that's deeply part of our sinful condition as, as human beings. Uh, I've been real open with you guys that in my past I, I struggled with fear. Fear had a, a bondage, a, a place in my life that was unhealthy. And it, and it led me down that road towards hypocrisy because I wanted to hide things. I thought people wouldn't accept me as I really was. I wanted to please people. And you know what? Ultimately, that fear, that acting, led to an absence of love. Love of God and love for others. But here's the good news this morning as we go through Romans. <laughs> We're not left there. We're not left in a place of acting. We're not left in a place of fear, shame, or guilt. We're invited to a new way of life with Jesus. That there's hope that Jesus can transform and change us from a, a life of surface acting to a, sight, a life of real, genuine love. And Jesus makes it possible because he died on a cross to demonstrate real love, sincere love, to show the world that love is possible with God. 
and he provided a, a cover of our sin, you know, that fear that made me want to hide. He, he provided a covering, a, the atonement. We le- learned that in Romans chapter 3, that he forgives our sins. He, he forgives us completely and makes us new. And his sanctifying power is, is making us new. And he gives us a hope of a glory that will be revealed in each of us as sons and daughters. <laughs> No more shame, no more guilt. We will be sons and daughters with all the rights, heirs of God. And this means we can live a life of sincere love. Would you look and open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12? And it will be on the screens. And would you mind standing in honor of God's word with me this morning? We're going to start in chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, and go through verse 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may be seated. Praise God for his word this morning. Aren't these needed words (laughs) in our lives? So let's just look back briefly at the beginning of chapter 12 where it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he talks about being able to live in God's will. Now, Paul is explaining what this transformed life looks like. It's really practical. (laughs) This is really clear of what a life transformed in Jesus looks like. Now, I just want to say, Paul begins by saying love is sincere. Basically, that is saying this isn't acting. This is the opposite of hypocrisy. This is real. This is true transformation at the inner core of who we are. Love is sincere in Christ. Now, we're going to dive into this passage, and there's lots of things here. And the worst thing that you could do this morning is walk away and say, I got to be better, (laughs) or I got to try harder. That misses the entire point, because what will that produce? insincere love (laughs) that will produce hypocrisy if we we, if we just try harder just try to do better no we are invited into a new life with christ that's why 
when it begins by saying, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves. So the invitation this morning is to offer our lives, everything we are, to God. And when we do that, the result or the fruit of that is sincere love. Uh, I love what Pastor Steve would say over and over about abiding in Christ. And really what we are reading here is really a result of that abiding relationship with Jesus. So because we're Westerners, I'm going to kind of divide this up into two parts. Um, Paul doesn't do this in the passage. This all flows together, okay, because this is intricately tied. But I think to help our minds kind of get around this, there's really, I think, two parts to everything that Paul says here. There's a, a love for God and there's a love for others. What did Jesus say the greatest command was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's really what Paul is describing here. What does that love for God and love for others look like? But they're intricately tied. John says you can't say you love God and not love those around you. <laughs> so if there's a genuine love for God, it's going to result in a genuine love for other people. And so you can't separate those two, two things. And so it's tied together. But I kind of separated out a little bit for our, our, to get our minds around. So the beginning of the sermon is going to talk a little bit more about what Paul is saying, love for God. Now, let's capture something here that's really important. He's not just talking about our individual love for God, but our corporate love for God. Because the context here, if you look back to the previous verses that Bill preached on last week, Paul was talking about the body of Christ, the church. That's us. And he says we're to humble ourselves, right? We're to, we're to consider others better than ourselves. And then he talks about our gifts that God gives each of us. Each of us has a gift and a part. I like what Bill referred to us as like Mr. Potato Head, right? <laughs> we're, we're like a big Mr. Potato Head with different parts. Or, or a better way of thinking about it is as a family. We're like a family. We each have a part, a role to play in God's work in his church. But the key is love. But it starts with love for God together. Love for God together. So there is an individual application here, but there's a corporate sense of love. And I'm just going to highlight those things that Paul highlights when he talks about love together for God. The first thing I observe in verse 11 is that we are to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That word spiritual fervor is literally passion. Our, our energy, our, our hearts are, are captured by God together. And so when Paul says when someone who doesn't believe in Jesus walks into our worship service, what do they experience? They experience people who are passionate for God, who are worshiping God, who are encountering the living God. We're experiencing God in a real tangible way because our hearts are bound together in love and passion for our God. And Paul says when someone walks into that room, <laughs> when people are filled with that fervor, what does he say? He says they will fall to their knees and experience God as well. There's something contagious about passion, <laughs> about fervor, and we're invited to that together. That when we meet, whether it's in a small setting, maybe one or two of us, or, or a group of us, or together on a Sunday, what's, 
what's the mark of what people experience? Passion, zeal, fervor for God. Paul says that is sincere love. That's the result of Christ in us. Then he says we're to be joyful in our hope for God. <laughs> I, I love that every Sunday morning we, we laugh together. We're, there's joy, there's response. We sing together because we're hopeful. We're, we're not stuck in the, the problems that we encounter in our lives, that we have this lasting, enduring joy that brings us here every Sunday to have hope in God. He says, be patient in affliction. Remember when Paul wrote this to the early church, the people in the churches were being thrown to the lions, okay? This was a, written in a time when Christians were persecuted. And right now, this morning, there's many Christians churches that are under siege i just read this week about churches in africa where pastors are being shot where people are being thrown in prison where kids are being kidnapped only because they are followers of jesus this is the reality jesus said in this world we will have trouble people will persecute us and so paul is saying individually be patient in our individual affliction but corporately when the world comes against us what are we to be patient patient in our affliction and then he says faithful in prayer we're to be marked as a people by prayer because prayer is evidence of our dependence on God that we can't do it all on our own we don't have all the answers we have to turn to God that's why I'm committed with the elders and pastors of this church we meet regularly just to pray not to do business not to talk just to, to pray together because we are absolutely dependent on God to lead us to direct us to fill us and as well as the congregation this morning after this sermon we're going to open up a time of prayer where if you are wanting to pray with someone we're going to have elders pastors up here and I invite you just to come and pray maybe it's a burden in your heart but maybe you just want to praise God and pray with someone we are to be faithful in prayer and then Paul says in the very beginning love must be sincere and then he says hate what is evil cling to what is good um, yesterday I went hiking with my family and I was looking at some of those rocks you know those formations of boulders that go straight up and 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 we were kind of climbing up some of the rocks and when you're on the edge of a rock looking down you really hold on <laughs> you don't want to let go and that's what Paul is saying here he says he says in our sincere love we cling to what is good we hold on to what is good we celebrate what is good but we also hate what is evil and so that is to characterize us as a body in our love for God our spiritual fervor our joy our hope our patience when we suffer our faithfulness in prayer and our clinging to what is good so this is the invitation of a transformed life for us together. We're to, we're to cheerfully, willingly, as Paul says, as, as living sacrifices, offer ourselves to these things. That means we're willing to put aside our, our time, our energy, our money. We give to these things because we have experienced the transforming power of Jesus. And it's real. I've been so thankful being part of Rimrock and getting to know many of you and seeing sincere love. God has filled this place with love. I've seen it so many times where people are giving of their energy to help others, to point others to God. If they 
gathering to pray, to study God's word, sacrificing their resources, their money to help others. I've experienced it. Many of you have testimonies of how you've experienced love in this place. Praise God. That's Jesus. <laughs> That's his work. It's not because we're so great or we manufactured something. That's the work of Jesus in our midst. Praise God. Now we're going to look at the verses here in verses 9 through 21 that talk about our love for others. So love for God and love for others. I think the first thing I want to point out is this idea of devotion. Uh, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. So this word devotion is, is literally a faithfulness, a, a desire to to sacrifice for the benefit of someone else so that you're willing to set aside other things for the benefit of someone else. We're to honor others above ourselves. That's why humility is so important. We're, we're to realize that we're not everything. The world doesn't revolve around me. And when we live that way, when we realize that, it allows us to really see others and to honor them, to encourage them, to support them. And so we're to be characterized by our devotion to each other and how we honor others above ourselves. And then it says we're to share with God's people. In verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Um, as I've gotten to know uh, this church here at Rimrock, as I've um, gotten to know many of you, I've learned that there's teams of people. There's a living out love team. There's a benevolence group. There's deaconesses. There's people in our body who are living this out. They are giving resources. They're visiting those who are sick. They're coming alongside others. And even outside of those teams, those formal teams of people are doing it, many of you are just doing that. <laughs> you, you hear about someone who's struggling and you're there. You're giving them a call. You're sharing your resources with someone who has a need. You see, this is all evidence of sincere love, real love for others. It's tangible. It's action, and, and that's evident of, evidence of Christ in us. And then he says, practice hospitality. Um, this can be a harder one for us in our culture. I've grown up in other cultures. I've traveled, and I've, I've learned that some people in our world uh, understand hospitality better than we do as Americans, but I'm learning more and more how to do this. But some, many of you open up your homes, and this word hospitality isn't just to your friends and family. It's to strangers, people who aren't like you, maybe people who you don't know as well, but you, in your sincere love, you're willing to open your home and your life to others. I'll always remember in, in Minnesota, uh, we befriended uh, a man who worked at a Mexican grocery store. He was a butcher. His name was Chente. And, uh, and he was a, a big, burly guy, but he had a, a lovely family, and we were getting to know him, and and uh, we had a, bar, uh, a bonfire at our house, so I invited him and his family, and they came over, and we had a wonderful meal and time, and we were sitting around the fire just, just enjoying the night, and, and it was kind of a quiet moment in our conversation, and I look over, and Chente is just weeping, and I said, Chente, are you okay? What's wrong? And, and it took him a while to get his composure, he said, he said, I've been in this country 10 years, and this is the first time I've ever been in an American's home. And he says, I'm just so grateful. And that, that struck me. It struck me that, 
that this hospitality, but a very simple act, somehow resonated deep in his heart where he felt loved for the first time in 10 years, that someone was willing to open their homes. And, 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 and think of the power of that. Think about your own life where people have opened not only their homes but their hearts to you and the impact that it's had on you as you think about that hospitality and how it, feel, it makes you feel so welcomed. Jill and I have experienced that here with you guys, as many of you have opened your homes and your lives to us, and we're so grateful. We feel so loved because of that. And so many of us need to do that with others who maybe don't feel loved, who don't feel accepted, and we need to do that to practice hospitality. Then he says, and now it's getting harder. <laughs> he says, bless those who persecute you. Verse 14, right? Do not curse, but bless them. Okay, this is getting hard. <laughs> it's easy to love people who are kind and nice to us, right? It's, it's easy to love our friends and people who are like us. But what about our enemies? Jesus taught us a radical kind of love. And that's why this isn't acting anymore. This is sincere because when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was saying, forgive them. And these were the people who were spitting on him and beating them. And so Jesus said, you must love your enemies. You see, this isn't the kind of love you can just conjure up. I can't fake loving my enemies. You can't either. We need a power that's greater than ourselves, the transforming power of Jesus to teach us this kind of love, to bless those who persecute us, to not curse, but to bless others. And then he says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who who mourn. This is the kind of love that learns how to listen. Um, we're not very good at listening, are we? Naturally, we're better at sharing, but we are called to be good listeners. We're called not just to listen to information about people, but to really understand what people are going through. If they're going through a hard time, it affects our emotions. If they're having the best day of their lives, we are too. <laughs> you see, we, we join in with others. We understand. We live in harmony with others. And then he says, do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not look down on others. Be willing to associate with others, even if they're of low position. You see, the church is to be made up of all kinds of people. <laughs> We're not a, a club that's bound by interest or our own positions, our own ways. We are bound together because of the love of God, the love of Jesus. I love what Rich Mullen says when he talks about the church. He says, when we walk in the doors, all our titles, all our positions, all our assets are to go to the side. Those don't matter. He says, we are the fellowship of the forgiven. <laughs> don't you love that? What, what binds us together is that we were all lost. We were sinners, but God and his love rescued us. He called us to be his sons and daughters, to be brothers and sisters, and that's what binds us together. It's not, it's not what we've achieved. It's what God has done in us. And that's why in verse 12 it says, in view of God's mercy. The final part of this chapter is going to get close and personal to all of us. Because the reality is the call of love is one of forgiveness. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, 
but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends, depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is hard. Even in marriage, this is hard. <laughs> you have to forgive. And I've learned one thing as a pastor, and I can speak of this as a human being that I've been hurt and wounded, and forgiveness is one of the hardest things I've personally have had to walk through. And as I meet with people, and as I talk with people, I find over and over that there's hurts, there's wounds, there's baggage that we all have from our past, things that people have done to us, p- things people have said, experiences we've had that have scarred us. And so many people live with that weight. And it brings us down. It destroys us. It dehumanizes us. And so the call to love is a call to forgive. I know many of you are aware uh, Senator John McCain uh, passed away the other day and um, despite what your political standpoint is or how you view him as a politician, uh, what struck me as a, as a man, he said he went to a church in Arizona and he was asked why he went to the church and he said because it's, it's preached there the message of redemption and forgiveness. And what, what's amazing about his story is that he walked a very difficult road. He was captured as a POW in Vietnam. And he was beaten and tortured, and he was imprisoned in solitary confinement. And I can imagine, having gone through that experience, it would be very easy to be resentful and bitter and angry. But somehow, by God's grace, John McCain came through that experience and I believe he had an encounter with Christ because there's no other way to do this. He got to this place in his life where he was able to forgive his captors, his enemies. And instead of cursing the Vietnamese, he worked to bring peace. He brought peace with America and Vietnam. How is that possible? What Paul is inviting us here is to understand that it's not our job to bring revenge we are called to trust God because if God is good if he is just then we can bring that stuff that's happened to us and bring it to God and rest in who God is he says do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord. So my dear brothers and sisters, we are called to not be people bound with anger and revenge. Our culture, if we look at this passage, it says do not conform to the pattern of the world and the pattern of the world is what? Revenge. Get back. They must pay. And we see it everywhere. And our own hearts are drawn to that. But because of the transformation of Christ, we come to our hurts We come to our wounds and we say, no, I trust God. And I'm going to bring this burden, this this terrible thing that happened to me, I'm going to bring it to God. And so many people, because of these resentments, they are bound up. They're involved in alcohol and drugs and sex and all kinds of passions and things and driven away and they're just trying to cover up, up deep hurts and wounds but not us, (laughs) not us. We are free from that. We are called to a life of forgiveness, of release, 
because of who God is. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We bless, we don't curse. We forgive, we don't hold on. We trust God. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, verse 21, this is a call to the righteousness. Remember, we started Romans by saying this Christian life is a life of righteousness from first to last, and it's a righteousness by faith in God. That means we're not producing this. God is doing this. He's the power at work in us producing this. It's the good life of righteousness. It's a life of love. Love is sacrifice and commitment. I like what it says in 1 John 3, 16, which parallels John 3, 16. Remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So how did God respond to the brokenness of this world? He was generous. (laughs) He sacrificed everything. What was most precious, his own son, to die on a cross. And so God demonstrates his love in this. He gave sacrificially. He was committed to saving us, to delivering us, to forgiving us. And so 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is, sincere love. What is it? Because Jesus gave up his life for us, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see that? (laughs) We can't do this without first understanding how God loves us. He, he gave up everything for us. And because of that, we can give up our lives for each other. We can sacrifice for the good of one another. So I titled this sermon, Love Does. Love is action. You can read through this list, and everything in there is an action point. Whether you're opening your home, or you're choosing to bless someone, or you're choosing to forgive someone, or you're choosing to, uh, to share your resources with someone, They're all actions. You can't just say, I love and not do anything. Um, A man that wrote a book uh, that Boomer referred to the other uh, few weeks ago was Love. uh, Bob Goff, Love Does. And I want to read a couple quotes from that book. He says, every day God invites us on the same kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. Life isn't an itinerary. It's not smooth. (laughs) There's twists and turns. He simply invites us. He invites us. God asks, what is it that he's made us to love? What is it that captures our attention? What feeds that deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the richness of the world that he has made? And then I love this part. He leans in and he whispers, let's do it together. (laughs) This life wasn't made for us to figure out on our own. God is with us. He invites us to a life of love. And then this is what else Bob says. That's what love does. It pursues blindly, unflinchingly, and without end. When you go after something you love, you'll do anything it takes to get it, even if it costs everything. Wow. The life of love. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I want to invite you to consider this morning praying with someone. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a resentment. There's something you're holding on to that you haven't dealt with. And today would be a great day to let that go. (laughs) And there's power in praying together. And so um, 
Tom's going to sing a song, but towards the end of that song, myself and a few elders, we're going to be up front along the sides, and, and there's no pressure, but, but don't leave here today without dealing with those things. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know how much he loves you. But something has stirred in you this morning and you want to receive Christ, today would be a great day to do that. Would you come up and and tell one of us and we'd love to pray with you as well. About 20 years ago, 